What's up, guys? This is Mike. This is Dave, and you're listening to the Mike and Dave Podcast. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to the Mike and Dave Podcast, episode 56 today. And I just want to get something out of the way real quick. I am very glad that episode 56 is us talking about some win-win trades that NBA teams should pursue this offseason and not new NBA Finals preview between the Celtics and the Nuggets. Because as some of you may or may not have, have seen, we released our NBA Finals preview last episode in episode 55 before that series had concluded with the Heat and the Celtics. At that point, the Heat were up three games to zero. So we were like, oh, it's a done deal. Of course, the Celtics ended up making it all the way to game seven before eventually falling to the Heat. And I got to say, we were sweating it, weren't we, Mike? I was sweating so hard. Uh, I think what shocked me the most is that the Celtics didn't win. Once they won game six, I was like, that's it. They've done it. You're talking about game seven in Boston after all of this. This is about to be the most electric like environment ever. And the environment was crazy, but the Heat, they did it. Uh it was it was awesome. But yeah, we were like after every single game, we were just texting like there's another one where one game closer to having to like redact our last episode and be like, Hey guys, we're stupid. You know, but the, the numbers in history said that this would not happen. But of course the one time that we record and put out a finals preview in this situation, a team comes back from three Oh, thankfully that didn't happen though. So as we're recording, it's, one game to one in the NBA finals. Both games have been very entertaining so far, which is exactly what we hope for as neutrals to a degree. I think Mike's cheering for the heat and I'm cheering for the nuggets, but like it's not that serious. So really what I want is a a really good series all around, which is what we've gotten so far. So I'm excited about that. It has been good already. The heat being the first team to beat the nuggets in Denver this postseason. Which, you know, once I saw, or sorry, once the Heat officially finished off the Celtics, you know, I was seeing a lot of like, that's cool, Nuggets in four, Nuggets in five kind of stuff. And technically Nuggets in five can still happen um, at the time that we're recording this. By the time this episode comes out, game three will have happened. But... Winning one in Denver, being the first team this postseason to do that, gives me a lot of hope for Miami. Because winning one in Denver is tough. You're talking about it's over a mile high above sea level. Mm-hmm. That 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 is real. So I'll tell you what we're not going to do. We are not going to do a 2023 NBA Finals recap until this <laughs> is over. Our balls aren't that big. Okay. There's but too much risk already involved. Like we're we're just gonna we're gonna take our money and run at this point. Yeah, like count our blessings. We're not. This isn't the uh, like the roulette table or whatever where you're like, okay, I won that one. Let's spin again while you know strike while the iron's hot. Nope. Get out of here. Yeah, deal or no deal. 
Deal. It's just deal. <laughs> Shut the suitcase. Thank you very much. I'm on my way. Exactly. Uh, speaking of deal or no deal, I I am excited though. Like you said, we will be doing four realistic, sensible, you know, win-win trades that could happen this NBA offseason. We're already looking past the finals, I guess. But before any of that, we have to get into off the top. Make it sound like such a chore. We get to get into off the top. We have to get where David asked me a question and then we go through that and then we get to the real meat of the episode. I have to say something. It's like it's like dinner, right? You have to eat through the salad to get to the steak. Okay, well, hopefully you'll enjoy mine more than you would a salad. Um, dang. Okay. Um, first of all, deal or no deal, new segment idea? Where one of us brings a trade to the other person and they have to decide deal or no deal. I feel like that could be something that we do in the future. Anyways, just my, you know, my creative juices are already flowing as they always are. Um, but anyway, like Mike said, we do have to get into off the top. So my question I'm going to pose to you this time, what do you think is the most exciting play in sports and why? So this is like a singular play, a singular highlight, a singular event within the course of a game. In all of sports? Yes. And you can you can say just like the big four sports or whatever like that if you want, but I, I'm I'm gonna do that. Um like we're not we're not trying to get into like the Olympics or anything here. <laughs> like it's not that crazy. Or like the Kentucky Derby or something. So, can I, so big force, can I just, can I, well, I think what I'll do first is just say like, okay, for, well, for football, it's blank. And then for basketball, it's that, it's the blank. And then maybe from there, I'll try to narrow it down, I guess. Yeah, yeah we can do a little bracket action. <laughs> okay. So up front, I'm going to say it, it's too easy to say a buzzer beater, right? Like, because I assume you don't mean like game winners. Otherwise, like that's got to be the winner for all four sports, right? Like, uh, it, so it could be, but then you have to determine what's the what's the best. Is it a buzzer beater three to win the game? Is it a hail mary that's caught in the end zone? Is it a walk off home run? You know, is it a is it a goal scored in the ninety eighth minute of you know in soccer? Like, I, I'm sure it's not gonna be that one for you, but you know what I mean. Okay, so I'm gonna. I guess this just kind of becomes like how do how do I interpret the question, huh? I'm gonna address those four first, um, as like the game winner category, and I'll just do that really short because I can't pretend that like individual plays within in like the second quarter of a basketball game are more exciting than a game winner. Um, but I feel like it'd be more interesting to talk about the individuals. A, a soccer goal in the 98th minute just because of how rare scoring in soccer is anyway is insane <laughs> like i i gotta put that one at the top um and that's coming from someone that's not that big of a soccer fan but mm -hmm. just like you know i watch the world cup and like there's a reason people get hype when whenever a goal is scored it's because it doesn't happen that often for sure um 
walk off home run, uh, especially if it's a grand slam, uh, that's up there. Mm-hmm. Um, that's probably number two. Um, then I'm gonna go buzzer beater three for the win, and then the walk off touchdown. Okay. So those are the that's the game winner category. Um, now, if we're just talking about an isolated play, like could happen in at any point in the game for basketball, that's the chase down block for me. Um, okay. And you have your clutch ones in history, but to me, it's so cool. Like you got a breakaway layup or dunk or whatever. And you think like, oh yeah, he's gone. It's a, f- I think it's the fact that it feels like a foregone conclusion mm-hmm. that it's going to be two points. And then boom, in comes Tayshawn Prince or someone swooping in just like, nah, actually I don't want you to have that. Yeah, for sure. Um, and there's always the reaction from the player that got blocked. Like, I thought I had that. I thought it was, I thought it was gone. And then just, Oh, well, yeah, you heard footsteps and there it goes. Mm-hmm. Uh, football. Um, probably an interception return for a touchdown. Okay. Um, good. It's up there with punt returns going with defense. I yeah. like it. Um, but I think, what puts the interception return over for me is like, okay, if you're on punt return, right? Everyone knows just from the jump, like, okay, if I'm not the return man, my job is to block. Um, on a random defensive play, though, you, there is that moment in most cases where, like, you know, the guy catches it, but then there's like eight or nine other guys on defense that are like, they have no idea. And so there's those like two or three seconds of just like, What's going on? What's going Oh, crap. Let me, let me grab this guy real quick. Yeah. Uh, um, so, okay, there's that. Baseball, home run robberies. Mm-hmm. Stick with the defense. There you exactly. go. Those are fun. The climbing the wall. Yeah. Uh, and I'm going to put that over the interception return for the touchdown. Mm-hmm. And then soccer. I don't know about soccer. Um, Which you don't have to do that one if you don't want to. Um, what what initially comes to mind for me is when, because like it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to result in a score, right? It just has to be the most exciting play. So it could be a guy performing some sort of skill move that like absolutely like an ankle breaker, um, which those happen in soccer too, but it could be like that. It could be, um, you know, somebody deciding to take a pot shot from like 35 yards and it just like flies into the top corner. Um, or like we've seen goals. I remember Carly Lloyd scored one for the U S from over the halfway line. Um, and you just, you're just like, Sorry, they're shooting from where? And then the the keeper's off their line and then it goes in and you're just like, what the heck just happened? Um, those are a few that I can think of for soccer. Yeah. Um I kind of want to stick with the defense. Like when a when the keeper makes the save like by the fingertips, you think like there's no way he's gonna reach that. Mm-hmm. And then 
diving out to the side. There he goes. Yeah, or or even a defender who like clears it off the line like it's about to go in and then they like dive and barely kick it off before it crosses. That's pretty exciting too. Yeah, that's true. Because it's not even like the goal has already been beaten and this guy's just come flying it out of nowhere and he can't use his hands. So he just has to like try to kick it away or like use his head or something. Like I've seen plays where it's about to go in and they, they have to like jump up and like head it over the bar before it goes in, it's like which is crazy. Um, I remember the few times that I played soccer, heading the ball just like hurt so bad. <laughs> but if somebody's shooting, then it's got to be even worse if it like hits you. So respect for that. But um, but yeah, I think a a save or a you know defender keeping it off the line or whatever are good ones. Yeah, I guess like so. I guess outside of the game winners that we talked about, I'm gonna put the home run robbery at number one, then the chase down block in basketball number two, then the interception return for a touchdown three, and then a good save in soccer at number four. Okay, cool. I like that. I wasn't even thinking about it necessarily in terms of like game winners versus just like highlight reel type of clips, but um, those are some good ones. Um, Maybe we'll get, this could be a top five in the future too of like most exciting plays in sports or like, you know, moments in sports that we really appreciate or something like that. Cause I can definitely think of a few for me as well, but this isn't about me. This is about your answer to off the top. So I'm going to go ahead and even though I really want to say it, I'm going to go ahead and wrap it up um, and maybe save that for another day. But when we come back, we're going to get into some predetermined win-win trades that we've come up with for some NBA teams this off season. So stick around for that. All right, we're back and it's time to get into our four trades that we've come up with. Now, unlike you know a lot of episodes where we do, you know, we each bring our own like three or five or whatever things to the table and the other person hasn't heard um, anything about them. These four trades we've already worked on together so that instead of like trying to hash this out live or whatever, we know that we agree on these trades. We both think they make sense. We're here to break them down together to you. Like we think they're a win-win for both teams involved in each of these cases. So no surprises between us, but maybe some of these will surprise you. <laughs> I think at least one or two of them will. And we're going to, I guess, spoiler alert, go in order from what we deem the least dramatic to the most dramatic. But when we say least dramatic, it's not like we're going to do like, oh yeah, we're going to trade this second round pick for like Tyrese Martin. Like, <laughs> no, we're we're dealing with starters here, so. Yeah, from role players to star players, uh, but guys who we think would make an impact for next season. So we're going to start off with a trade between the Detroit Pistons and the Sacramento Kings. So the Pistons, arguably best player last year, was Boyan Bogdanovich. They ended up shutting him down. So the Pistons best player last year was Boyan Bogdanovich 
they end up shutting him down after 59 games with a quote injury. Uh, I feel like they were just trying to not win any more games than he was doing. He was playing too well. Um, but yeah, we, we have him going to the Kings for the Kings first rounder this year, which is number 24. Uh, so from the Pistons perspective, go ahead and take that. And then Mike, you can talk about the Kings, but I think from the Pistons perspective, Bogdanovich does not fit their timeline whatsoever. I mean, he's, he's 34 years old. Um, most of their core is all early twenties. So a Jalen Duran's freaking 19 still. So they're definitely going to try to leverage Bogdanovich's breakout season last year at the age of 34 um, for something. I think a first round pick makes a lot of sense. I think they were struggling to find that last year, but number 24 isn't a game changer per se, but you'll still be able to to land a, a solid player if you're the Pistons. And then, you know, you're able to ship off Bogdanovich and, and get something in, in return and another young player to help build up your young core that you're working on. Right. And if you're the Sacramento Kings coming off a remarkable season, they finally made a big jump. Uh, looking at their roster, they're going to be losing Harrison Barnes, but otherwise keeping their core together. Then you fill in Bogdanovich, great shooter and underappreciated playmaker and defender that can fill in that veteran role, slide right into that starting lineup, play some versatile like three to four positioning and pair extremely well with the likes of Fox, Herder, Sabonis. Like, I think if also if you're the Kings, like you're looking for a player that makes an impact now to help like take that next step rather than drafting someone at 24 that you have to really develop uh, into a quality piece. I feel like Bogdanovich meets their timeline and their need a lot more than that 24th pick does. For sure. And Bogdanovich isn't cheap at 20 million, but it's also not unreasonable for the Kings to take on in terms of salary, especially um, while Sabonis is still not signing his like next big deal, uh, which is going to be coming up after next season. So yeah, this is kind of our, our first win-win trade between the Pistons and the Kings. The Pistons get uh, in the number 24 pick a chance to draft another young player to go with their young core with what they're building there. And then the Kings get Bogdanovich to fill in that hole that Harrison Barnes is leaving and hopefully take that next step from where they ended this past season. So that's the first one. Mike, you want to introduce the next one? Yeah. So next up we have a trade with our Atlanta Hawks. So Clint Capella First of all, if you're the Hawks, you got to be looking at who's on the books for this year. And it's basically everybody. <laughs> like, no one has an expiring contract going into this year. Capella is demanding $20.5 million for next year. Meanwhile, you have a Kongwu, who's seven years younger and about $12 million cheaper. Uh, Capella, I like Capella. He's really good at what he does. You know, uh, pick and roll partner, rebounder, 
uh, uh, interior defender. But he doesn't make a whole lot of sense for the Hawks at this point. Who he does make a lot of sense for is the Mavericks, who are going to be losing Christian Wood and have the number 10 overall pick. And we we talked a little bit back and forth about this one. Like, is number 10 too high for Quint Capella? But you look at, like, who the Mavericks would be trying to get at 10, and it's not really anyone that's going to give them more value than Capella, at least in the short term. And if you're the Mavericks, you've got to, like, appeal to Luka and capitalize on that, especially if Kyrie stays. For sure. And also, if you make that trade... That's another incentive for Kyrie to resign with you as well. Because you're showing, okay, we're bringing in a good center. That'll be a lob threat, interior defender that, um, by all accounts, seems to be a pretty good teammate as well. So, yeah. So the official trade that we have is the Hawks trading Capella and the number 46 pick in this year's draft to the Mavericks for the number 10 pick. Um, and then from, you know, from the Mavericks perspective... Like Mike said, you're you're losing Christian Wood. You have a, a gaping hole at the center position. It makes sense to bring in somebody like Capella, who's going to be more of that defensive presence, um, offensive rebounds, that kind of thing. Um, and then f- for the Hawks, Okongwu, I feel like that's the the smart play for them long term is to pretty much pay him the money that they're paying Capella now for somebody who's seven years younger and has a higher ceiling than Capella does. Um, and the Hawks are also, that payroll is going to keep rising every year. So they got to look at that and, and determine where they can potentially cut it. And also this current group of players just isn't cutting it anyway uh, after that surprise run to the Eastern Conference Finals a couple years ago. So I think they have to make some change and this way they'll be able to to have the number 10 pick, which if you combine that with the number 15 pick, maybe you can get into that top five to seven range and get a real difference maker there as well. So I think it makes sense for both sides. Um, not the LeBron James trade that apparently the Mavericks were, there's a rumor coming out about that. It's not, it's not LeBron, it's Clint Capella, but still a valuable piece and a guy who would play an important role in that team moving forward. Yeah. Just a slight step down from LeBron. Right. And if you're the Hawks, I I wouldn't recommend like stopping there, you know, maybe move another piece while you're at it, but just looking at this in and of itself and looking at their cap situation, moving a second rounder, getting back number 10 is a really good way to, wash your hands of the $20 million and put yourself in a better financial situation as well. Yeah. So, and also I just wanted to mention with DeJounte Murray, this being the last year of his contract and the fact that we gave up that many picks and pick swaps uh, for Murray, you pretty much have to resign him to make that trade worth it. This frees up some of that cap room to give to Murray uh, when it comes time to resign him. Also, Mike and I have DeJounte Murray jerseys, so it would be really sad if they just let him walk and then it was only good for next season. So um, there's a little bit of a selfish element to this for sure. That, that would be tough. 
whatever. Here, here's hoping that doesn't happen. So next up, we've got the Suns trading DeAndre Ayton and a 2025 second round pick to the Pacers for Miles Turner. Now, you might be thinking, okay, DeAndre Ayton is a former number one overall pick. Not that long ago, three, four years ago. And you're giving him up and a second for Miles Turner? Yes, actually, we are. Because right now, Turner fits the Suns way better than Ayton. Ayton's value is not as high as it was a year or two ago. Does Ayton have a higher ceiling than Turner? Yeah, I think Turner is what he's going to be. But if you're the Suns, you don't have the luxury of like leaning back and saying, like, we'll watch Ayton develop. Having Kevin Durant is like the ultimate um, accelerator for your plan because he's a threat to demand a trade any given week. You have to keep him happy. You have to focus on the here and now. You also have Devin Booker. DeAndre Ayton doesn't fit with that at all, let alone adding Chris Paul to the mix. Miles Turner is about $11 million cheaper. In in all ways, like it makes sense for the Suns to move on from DeAndre Ayton, but doing so creates a huge hole at that center position where they would need not an offensive-minded player, but a defensive one, preferably one that can shoot, in steps Miles Turner. Yeah, and for if anybody forgot, last offseason, the Pacers were the team that offered DeAndre Ayton his current contract, but of course he was a restricted free agent, so the Suns were able to match that contract and bring him back. Um, this is basically the Suns and the Pacers more or less saying like, maybe we should have just done this before. <laughs> Um, and just avoided all of this nonsense because like you were saying, Aiton's value is not as high as it was after his performance in this, this past year's playoffs. He just was, did not play like his contract or his pedigrees would suggest. And, you know, the Pacers, obviously they still believe in Aiton. They, they really wanted him enough to pay him 30 plus million dollars a year. This gives them another chance to to have him. He's also a little younger, fits the timeline. He's only a year older than Tyrese Halliburton. So this gives the Pacers another young guy to, to pair with Halliburton moving forward and kind of accelerate their timeline a little bit. And, you know, Miles Turner has been in trade rumors forever at this point. Um, and in terms of, of fit, Turner fits better with the Suns. I think Aiton fits better with the timeline and what the Pacers are looking for. So I think this is a win-win trade. And then, you know, that 2025 second rounder from the Suns to the Pacers is just a little like, yeah, we know we kind of messed up a little bit and Aiton isn't quite what he used to be. We, we need to trim some salary where we can. So here have this second rounder, which the Pacers I'm sure will gladly accept. Um, but yeah, I think this is one where it's a it's a big for a big, and they they fit different needs and uh, for each team that they're going to. 
And if you're the Pacers, you'll still have the number seven pick in this coming up draft, which you can use on a player to pair with DeAndre Ayton, especially if you want to cover up some of his defensive shortcomings. You have players like Jairus Walker, um, like Taylor Hendricks, like their example, like these are just two examples of guys that you can target in the draft that work perfectly with Aiton side by side. So it's not like just because you lose Turner, you won't have any interior defense next year either. For sure. So that brings us to our fourth and final trade. This one is definitely the boldest and not necessarily unrealistic, but it would be a little surprising to see this happen, but we do think this makes sense for both sides. Hold on to your seats. So we have the Boston Celtics trading Jalen Brown to the Portland Trailblazers for the number three overall pick and Nasir Little. So let's break this down a little bit. Jalen Brown is going to be in the last year of his contract this upcoming season. He will be an unrestricted free agent after that. Obviously, we've seen Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum and the rest of that Celtics team make it pretty deep into the playoffs the past couple years and not quite be able to get over the hump. We saw Jalen Brown's Game 7 in the Eastern Conference Finals. It... You could argue he was the reason why they lost that game or the biggest reason why. There's no guarantee that Jalen Brown would stay with the Celtics long-term. They have a lot of other money committed to other players as well. So maybe this, this is so maybe this is a situation where... Hold on, I'm going to say that again. <clears throat> so maybe this is a situation where... If you're the Celtics, you're Brad Stevens. You're like, if we were to entertain the idea of trading Jalen Brown, what could we get? And I think the number three pick, which would pretty much guarantee you either Brandon Miller or Scoot Henderson at this point, that's a potential top tier type prospect to bring in and start that next wave of, of talent coming through the pipeline. Um, and from the trailblazers point of view, you're supporting Damian Lillard. I'll let Mike talk a little bit more about that. But again, from the Celtics perspective, it, it really depends on how you feel about being able to retain Jalen Brown. And do you kind of, retool and reset if you get this number three pick and you get scoot or you get miller you get younger you save some of that that cap room and i still think that you're a competitive top three team in the eastern conference moving forward so i don't know it might be worth looking into from the celtics perspective I know that the Celtics did just go to the finals not too long ago. Uh, so it might seem dramatic to trade away the second best player of that, but it doesn't, I mean, maybe the finals were like your shot and you missed it. And other than that year, it hasn't worked out. And even then you, if they didn't win, I guess it didn't work out. 
maybe you just focus on Tatum, right? And I guess to consider if you if you walk away from the draft with Brandon Miller, he's he can slide right in at the four, move Jason up to the move Jason Tatum up to the three, start Marcus Smart, and then whoever you want between Derek White, Malcolm Brogdon. You still have um Robert Williams and or Al Horford to play at the five, right? What if Scoot Henderson falls to the three? Well, that that's a great player to get at three, let me tell you, because there are plenty of drafts this century where he would have gone number one. Just not this year. Um, he doesn't have to start right away, though. Uh, you know, you can bench him, let him develop a little bit, and that's an amazing guy coming off the bench. And then next year as a starter, like, forget about it. I think it works. It might be taking a step back for a year or two, but then you're, like, looking three years ahead, a third-year Brandon Brandon Miller or Scoot Henderson paired with Jason Tatum. <laughs> That's nice. So then if you're the Trailblazers, you you give up the number three pick, which screams, our future, our future, <laughs> and you give that up for Jalen Brown, the present, especially a non-guaranteed present. You don't know that he'll sign with you after next season. And you do this to say to Damian Lillard, we believe in you. We want to give this a real shot. Uh, Jalen Brown has to be the best player that he would have played with on the Trailblazers in his career. Mm-hmm. Like, and not only not only that. Like, if you're thinking, well, what about C.J. McCollum? Jalen Brown's defense is like in another atmosphere from C.J. McCollum. <laughs> uh, forget like the offense. Uh, this gives you a stopper on that side. Um, Jalen Brown actually complements Damian Lillard really well. If you're the Celtics also, you're trading Jalen Brown out of conference, which actually, come to think of it, all four of our trades that we've done have been interconference. But if you're the Celtics, you trade Jalen Brown to a team that's not even like a threat to you until you get to the finals, and you do so in a way that doesn't give him to an a team that's already threatening, you just kind of add to the pool, which is preferable. Then you look at the Trailblazers and you go, okay, so it's Dame, Jalen Brown, Nurkic as a big three, not to mention Anfernee Simons. And you start looking around the West and that is it. That's gotta be a, a six seed like, or better, you know, like, I don't think they worry like, can we make the play? Yeah, you're going to, you'll be fine. You're not, you're probably not at the Nuggets level in terms of regular season seeding, but can you challenge them in a playoff series? Yeah. Like this might be the move to, I don't, I don't know that they win a championship, but they have a chance at it. You have to capitalize on the few years that Lillard has left. Also, Dame has been a lot more vocal about things the last couple of years. I think he's really starting to get a little frustrated by the whole situation, which fair. Um, it just shows how much patience he has that he's lasted this long. Um, also do want to point out that the Blazers will still have a first round pick after giving number three up. So they'll still have the 23rd pick from the Knicks, which means that they'll be able to add to that rotation 
with a player in this draft because they are going to be losing a few other players that were in their rotation before. Um, Jeremy Grant's going to be gone. Cam Reddish, Matisse Thibel, Justice Winslow. So they would potentially be able to add another wing or or something there. But yeah, I think this gives the Trailblazers a, a chance. It also means that they don't have to give up Shaden Sharp, who I know that they're really high on and I think rightfully so. And then Nasir Little, we haven't really talked about him too much. His contract is very reasonable um, for what he is. He'll be making uh, like six and a quarter mil. And then that only goes up through 2026, 2027. So that's four years. And the highest it gets is uh, seven, seven, five. So it's really very reasonable for a solid wing who I think still has a lot of potential to grow. He's only 23 years old. I think he could potentially find a a spot on the Celtics rotation. You know, Grant Williams is going to be a free agent. Maybe they just kind of replace Grant Williams with Nasir Little um, and maybe sacrifice a little shooting for some defense. But yeah, I think it it makes sense from both sides. It's definitely a big swing from both. It's risky. Maybe Jalen Brown doesn't re-sign with the Blazers and they could have had a chance at getting a a guy like Scoot or Brandon Miller. Um, For the Celtics, maybe they do end up taking a step back without Jalen Brown and they get knocked out in, you know, the the first round or the second round next year and and people are saying, oh, why'd you trade Jalen Brown, blah, 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 whatever, You you took a step back. But... Overall, I think it's worth it for both of these teams, for Portland to to try to make a run at it and also show Jalen Brown why he should re-sign with them. And then for Boston to be able to retool. Um, this isn't a great comparison because it didn't go well, but it reminds me of when the Warriors drafted James Wiseman of not, you know, not starting him, not like He's not going to be a huge part of the rotation right away. Obviously, that didn't end up working out. But if you're comparing Scoot Henderson to James Wiseman, like you have a much better feeling about how Scoot's going to turn out than Wiseman. Even before we knew what would happen with Wiseman, like Scoot's a much better prospect. So it seems to me like it's worth the risk. And even if you're starting him off the bench, like that's a really solid player to come off as like a sixth man or seventh man um, and be able to learn and, and not have to be thrust into a starting role right away. So those are our four win-win trades that we think NBA teams should consider this off season. Um, there were a couple of other teams that we didn't quite get to that we were looking at and saying, Hmm, maybe these teams could look into uh, getting in, involved in the trade market, specifically the Bulls. Um, DeRozan is going into the last year of his contract. Vucevic is going to be a free agent after the finals are over. So, And it obviously hasn't worked for them. So they could potentially be a player. Um, and then the Mavericks, I think they are going to have to do something other than if they did trade for Capella, they, they need to do something else, whether that's re-sign Kyrie or or whatever else that might look like. But the NBA offseason is almost here. Um, Of course, we are excited to watch the rest of the finals and see who ends up becoming champs. But 
the rumors are already spreading. NBA offseason is the best offseason in sports, and we're already excited to see where the dominoes are going to fall and, um, you know, the draft and and everything and free agency as well. So it's all very exciting. Yeah, there's nothing quite like the summer for us. You know, we get to talk about all the moves that are being made. We get to talk about the drafts, review the finals, preview the season, and there's even weeks in there where we get to just kind of do whatever the hell we want. So be on the lookout for all of that content. But when we come back, we're going to go ahead and jump into the hot seat, the fun fact. So stick around for that. Alrighty, as always, it's time for the hot seat. And we've got a, a pretty interesting candidate on here that we just saw today and we thought it was worthy of a, of a mention. Mike, who do we have this week on the hot seat? So as longtime listeners of the Mike and Dave podcast know, Sometimes our hot seat is like outrageous and like, oh, this is a serious issue that needs to be discussed. And sometimes it's just like a lighthearted, like, oh, this was funny. You know, we went with the latter this, uh, this episode. So Samantha Rivera from CBS Miami, uh, news, um, covering, um, game two of the Stanley Cup Finals. Uh, we had the Vegas Golden Knights versus the Florida Panthers. And I'm sure you all have seen this video already. If not, just type Samantha Rivera. It will come right on up for you. <laughs> uh, this, uh, this random fan, like while she's doing her interview, in front of the camera just tries to get in front of the camera and she stiff arms the shit out of him and it's like no get out of here uh do not give him attention and she like continues on with her report right which is dope the really funny part of this to me is like how quickly like everyone is picking this up like it's on sports center it's on espn like all the major news networks like i'm looking at this uh this article right now um, Samantha, Riv- uh, Samantha Rivera's quick thinking drew Derrick Henry comparisons. Like that is amazing. <laughs> that is funny. If he's King Henry, then she's Queen Samantha. Petition to have her change her Twitter name to Samantha quote Stiff Arm Rivera, <laughs> <laughs> or just Stiff Arm Rivera. Why not? What a badass nickname. You know, do your thing. Like, have that be her, not just her um, her handle, but like for all of her future like news reportings, right? She gets on the camera. It's like, no, before it even gets to her, you got someone like at the, like the anchorman or whatever is like, we take you now live to Stiff Arm Rivera for this exclusive news update. And she's at the, hockey game and you know you got some viewers that have never seen this clip you're like stiff arm Rivera, and you're expecting like derrick henry or someone like that Uh and then in comes samantha and it's like what (laughs) don't judge a book by its cover yeah what i appreciated about this clip is that she just like kept smiling throughout the whole thing and completely kept her cool like 
that's somebody who is the ultimate professional, the ultimate professional in that kind of work of like, you have somebody like screaming and like trying to get in front of the camera and you're just like, nope, but like still like smiling the whole time. And then just continuing on like nothing happened. Like massive respect to Stiff Arm for that one. So despite the segment's title of Hot Seat, this is one of those like appreciation well, for this one. Well, the, the fan is on the hot seat. The unnamed fan who'd never even got on the camera and did not get any recognition. The only recognition that this guy is going to receive is being on the hot seat for this week. And just hot. Just in general, don't be like that guy. Don't be like that guy when you can be like Samantha Rivera. Exactly. Just stiff arm somebody. Moral of the story. Go and stiff arm somebody tomorrow. But only in the right context. We're we're not encouraging just stiff arming grandma on the like on the sidewalk. I mean, maybe you're not. I'm, you're right, I'm, I'm not thinking, like at the grocery store, like Oh, I was gonna get that milk. Like, <laughs> you know, like the last box of cocoa puffs. <laughs> See ya, Grandma. <laughs> Bye. I don't know why. I don't even like Cocoa Puffs. I just, I don't know. It just came to me. Of all things, like, that's not what you would be stiff no. someone for. It's not. Well, I wouldn't be doing this. It would be you doing this in this hypothetical scenario because I am not uh, condoning this kind of behavior unless absolutely necessary and you said you weren't sure about that so well let's change it from cocoa puffs we haven't done this top five yet but cocoa puffs would not be in mine so no the shake up from the sports categories just to do a random top five cereal let us know facebook twitter and instagram at mike and dave pod if you want us to do that sometime for sure well you know there i feel like there are a finite number of top fives we can do for sports we can get creative with it for sure but like at a certain point maybe we just start going rogue and just do top five favorite cereals or like i don't know stuff like that speaking of going rogue and speaking of things that may or may not be related to sports it's time for dave's fun fact what do you got for us this episode well it is in fact sports related so it's fairly rare that that happens, but I just had to break this down and share the absolute absurdity of this fun fact. So, as most of you may or may not know, actually, uh, I'm a very big baseball fan, big big Atlanta Braves guy. And one of the teams that I dislike almost more than any other but they're up there for sure, the New York Mets, okay? Now, the New York Mets got taken over by billionaire Steve Cohen a couple years ago, and since then have the highest payroll in Major League Baseball. Basically, old Steve is just throwing out, you know, millions upon millions upon millions of dollars to try to fix the Mets perennial losing problem Um, to no effect so far, by the way. Um, And I just wanted to share about the two highest 
paid players in baseball this season. Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander, these are two starting pitchers, both of the New York Mets, that are tied for the highest salary among MLB players this year. They are both making $43,333,333. So that is pretty insane in and of itself, but I'm going to break it down further. So the typical Major League Baseball starting pitcher, if they stay healthy the whole season, would average around 34 starts per season. I'm just going to go ahead and say they'll average 30 starts, which is probably high considering one of them is 38 and the other one is 40. And they both have uh, relatively extensive injury histories. It's probably being nice, but just for the sake of the argument, let's just say they start 30 games. That means that they would make $1.4 million per start this season. Now let's break it down even further than that. Let's say they average 90 pitches per outing, which right now one of them is averaging 86, the other one's averaging 95. I feel like 90 is a pretty good middle ground there. If they each average 90 pitches per start, this means that they make $16,000 per pitch. And keep in mind, Starting pitchers in in Major League Baseball pretty much only pitch every five days. So you've got four other days out of the week that they're just, you know, playing catch, throwing a couple bullpens maybe, you know, stretching, you know, icing up their arm, you know, chilling in the clubhouse, chewing double bubble on the bench. Like they're not affecting your team or helping your team in any way. And yet when they go up there, $16,000 per pitch. That almost seems unfathomable to me. I don't necessarily know how fun this fact is, but it is ironic that both of these players that are both the highest paid players in baseball this season are both being paid by Steve Cohen and the New York Mets. An absurd amount of money, to be sure. It also probably begs the question of, has baseball completely gone insane with the type of contracts they're giving out? I just thought of something that would be really funny or sad, depending on how you look at it. We we do away with salary, right? I mean, if you want to, you could extend this to any job, and I think it would be funny in its own way. But let's focus on baseball. Salary no longer exists Instead, you pay based on the breakdown that you just did, right? So after every single pitch, Cohen himself walks a briefcase of $16,000 out to Verlander. He throws the ball. Out comes Cohen with a briefcase of money. He walks off. Cohen throws the or Sorry, Verlander throws another ball. Cohen comes out with a briefcase full of money. Like, it would slow the hell out of the game. But like, just for perspective, how insane is that? I feel like all you have to do that for is like a couple at bats and you make your point. Also, 
<laughs> Major League Baseball has been re trying really, really hard to speed the game up. So I feel like this would be going in, in the opposite direction. But I do, I do feel like that would be breaking it down like that would kind of show how ridiculous th this amount of money is. Yeah, I um maybe it's more of a commercial idea. I don't know what that would advertise. <laughs> maybe yeah, I don't know who that would be for. But I feel like the idea, like the the groundwork is there. It would make for a funny video. But to what ends? Eh. That is crazy though. It's like $16,000. How how many feet is it? from 60 feet six inches the mound to... okay 60 feet hold for one second math is happening while that's happening i just want to say i appreciate all of you listening out there um and if you have not already make sure to hit subscribe or follow or whatever the little button is called on whatever podcast platform you're listening to us on. We'd greatly appreciate that as well as a five-star review. If you have not left one already, um, those help the podcast get out to more people and also make us feel happy inside. So if you want us to feel happy inside, then just do that. It's free and it only takes a couple seconds to do. So we appreciate it. Speaking of only taking a couple seconds to do, I'm back with the math. If you want to break it down further, he's getting they're getting paid $264.46 per foot that that baseball is thrown. And for you football folks, that's $793.39 per yard. Yep. Which by the way is like a literal arm's length. That's crazy. It's like, oh, if I throw the ball from my shoulder to my fingertip. Damn. I know. And what I also, and this is the last point, then we'll wrap up the show. The fact that the two highest paid guys in baseball are 38 and 40 respectively is crazy. Like you would think it would be a dude in their prime at like 27, 28 years old. Nope. It's these extremely old at the end of their career pitchers who don't even play every day. Just shows that, you know, old Steve and the Mets are just going to throw however much money at whoever to try to win and it won't work. So good. I guess if you're a billionaire, just piss your money away however you want. Exactly. Whatever. Now that I'm hyper aware of the money that i'm not making it's time to wrap up the show wow promote our podcast so that we can make some of that promote us on facebook twitter and instagram find us and interact with us at mike and dave pod also leave us that five star review on spotify google podcasts apple podcasts soundcloud whatever you listen to us on we appreciate that we definitely do we'll be back in a couple weeks with episode 57 by that point, we'll know who has won the NBA Finals. 
so we'll be excited to talk about that and i think that's about it for this episode we appreciate y'all listening as always as always this has been mike this has been dave and you've been listening to the mike and dave podcast